Hello, and welcome back to the Robert A. Heinlein Book Club. Uh, and in this episode, I'll finish up uh, my thoughts uh, on Methuselah's Children. This comes from the 1941, September 1941 issue of Astounding, um, by uh, obviously by Heinlein. Um, and this, um, th- here's where the story kind of, the book version and the story, story version the original published astounding version diverged the most um there's changes throughout both of them but in the book version we get a a significant coda in which the howard families return to earth and are some are kind of reintegrated into earth society and there's some drama about that it's not that much thematically there's a few interesting things I, i suppose in that end but um Basically, all we have really happening here is they get kicked out of the first planet they come to um, because basically they can't be um, like a subservient population to the native gods that are there. Um, At first, they think it's just a religion, um, but it turns out that these people are essentially being cultivated by by these gods. And when they really refuse to join the religion, essentially, that's how it's kind of offered up is like, you are now here long enough, you're, it's time for you to join our, our religion. Then they balk at that. They're too individualist. And then they leave. And I, I think here it's pretty clear the story is becoming about the tension between individualism and the collectivity. The Howard's family, of course, are a collective in a sense. They have an identity. They have something that sets them apart from the rest of humanity. They are cooperative. They're, of course, on this mission together. They, they form a, a government and a society with, with certain rules. They, they help each other. They, they support each other. There's common finances. They are a collectivity, but there's also individuals within them. And Lazarus Long, in many ways, represents that individualism. Because he is, he's, of course, when we first meet him, he's saying, like, I haven't been really part of the, the family group for a long time. Uh, he's kind of set outside of that. He's not kind of gotten got involved in the politics of the Howard families. It's only in the crisis on Earth with their being discovered that he gets involved in politics and takes a leading role in this, this exodus from Earth. So even though they're a collectivity, there's an individualism in them that, that makes them resistant to to what they see around them yeah, uh, yeah, on this planet where everyone is kind of, there's no privacy, everyone is kind of indifferent to to um, those concepts such as, pri- uh, as privacy or, or individualism. And then even worse, they're essentially being um, um, cultivated. The way Heinlein describes this is, um, the Jokaira seem no longer harmless friends rather ludicrous despite their scientific attainments, but puppets, decoys, bait for the unseen, potent beings that lurked in the temples. There was no need to put the matter to a vote. With the simple unanimity of the crowd rushing from the burning building, the earthmen sought to leave this terrible place. And that's how it's decided. It's basically decided by everyone that they would rather venture out, try to find another planet, than spend another moment uh, 
on a planet where they're forced to become part of a not quite a hive mind because that's that's uh, I mean it's got communal aspects like there's like the way they live but they live together like cows on, on, in a barn or something they 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 are uh, just being created for the use of others right um, and those are the real natives of the planet and they're even welcome to leave by the gods uh, one of the Jokaira say to him the gods have spoken your race can never be civilized you and your brothers are to leave this world and then he Lazarus long says we are leaving um, Lazarus sighed with relief the gnawing doubt in his mind had been whether or not they'd be permitted to leave the gods require that you leave send your brother Libby to me so they're not even wanted by by them. So it's a, it's a mutual breakup because of incompatible values, or or whatever. Um, so then they decide let's just go on to another planet and and they go somewhere else. Now I think the story there's certainly space uh, to have visited other planets. I think that would have been nice. Just visiting two, it doesn't quite have that uh, that feeling of like Mardi where they're like experimenting different different cultures um, but what does this mean what does this this uh, this uh, this Jokaira population represent I suggested it it re represents maybe a people being oppressed by an economic system or an elite somewhere right where they're forced in submission so depending on your politics it could be capitalism or or socialism or whatever any 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 system in which you have an elite class ruling over you demanding you whether it's government or the capitalist class right so i, I think there's a little bit of a rorschach's test in how we interpret their experiences on this on this planet um but anyways they're not really going to fit in so they're left to go to another planet um and before long they get there and I'll describe this new planet. Uh, it's Star PK three seven twenty two. It takes a little more than a year for them to get there from the from the old from the previous planet. Quote: The new frontier slipped into an orbit close to a live green planet, some hundred million years from its sun. Libby reported to King that they had stepped down into a stable, nearly circular orbit. King tried the controls dead since they left the planet of the Jokaira. The ship leaped ahead and quickly applied the equal counteraction. They were free. Their ghostly pilot had left them. The smile was incorrect, as nearly as Libby could figure out. Their trip had been planned for them, undoubtedly, but it was not necessary to assume that anyone or anything had accompanied them. Libby suspected that the gods of the dog people saw the planet as static. The deportation was an accomplished fact before it began. In another sense, the new frontier had been constrained to follow the cosmic cam. When it reached the end of a cam, it returned again to normal operation. So, so basically here it's implied that they're being basically not just kicked out, but they were directed to this planet by the by these other gods, maybe a planet that, that is more suitable to them. And when they get there, they get they, they're immediately contacted by telepathy, right? And they're presented as a peaceful race, as a, a peaceful civilization, uh, also egalitarian. That's another collective. That's the point. It's even more of an intense collective because it's based on, on telepathy. Now, unlike the other planet where they had to learn the language and learn to speak their language, they weren't going to 
the Jokairo weren't going to learn, you know, Earth languages, so they had to to learn the other languages passably enough. They didn't have to do that here, um, and they're basically welcomed in on a, you know, the carpets rolled out for them, and it seems like a a, a true utopia. Quote: There would appear to be no drawbacks to the offer. The people of the planet they had no spokesman's name for themselves. The Earthmen simply called them little people. Really did welcome them and help them. There existed no difficulty of communication such as they had been with the Jakaira. The little people could make their thoughts known to the Earthmen and in turn could read the sense of any speech directed at them. They appeared not to be able to sense anything nor intended as a message to them, nor did non-sensitive Earthmen acquire any gift of telepathy among themselves through this curious one-sided telepathism. Right. So it's one-sided, but basically communication is 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 eased um and you know the, the plan is described as being uh very much a, a utopia for them less mental but more um more alive i guess than earth a lot of bushes and trees and and beaches and and uh, and uh like no cultivation like it's it's much more natural environment um, so in that sense, ecologically, it's a utopia. The people are harmonious, welcoming to them. Uh, they can talk to them. They can be direct with them. So in every way, this seems to be a better planet. Now, pretty quickly, you learn more about this, uh, this planet and its civilization. For instance, they, have, um, they don't have machinery because they can basically manipulate things at the molecular level to make what they need. Um, they are... Basically, their science and their magic is biological-based. Quote, it was in the field of biology and the arts of life that their pre, uh, preeminence was most startling. They were masters of the manipulation of life forms, the development of plants in a matter of days which bore fruit, duplicating the nutritive qualities and flavor values of the associated earth diet, represented a minor routine task for them. Any of their manipulative biotechnicians could achieve it as easily as a human horticulturist could breed for a certain strain of color or shape in the flower. Um, so they, they can directly manipulate nature to create what they need. So they don't need technology. They don't need to um, really exploit nature. They can add to it. So what's the problem with this? Well, um, Mary, who is a character I think we met way back in the first part. It's, it's like uh, one of the older family members, too, is, is essentially brought into their collective consciousness um, and made sort of an immortal being. Um, and they also find out that when they start to have babies here, children here, that those children are being also manipulated and changed for this environment, being more of a, like, a, maybe it's a hybrid species or more connected to this, this hive mind of the, the little people. Now, as Mary's brought in, Lazarus asks them about that. Um, and, well, no, Lazarus is talking to one of the other uh, Howard family people. And he says, well, she married into one of their groups. He says, that's impossible, but it was possible. There is no faint possibility of interbreeding between the Earthmen and the natives in any biological sense, but there existed no real barrier if sympathy existed to a human merging into one of their rapport groups, drowning his personality into the ego of the many. End quote. So I, I'm almost reminded of like the line marriages, right? So here's what I want to say. I, I think this whole book these are these three short stories that together form this book uh, or is this a three-part novel really um published later as a one book that most people will read 
Um, however you want to go at it, though. It is about uh, the tension between, like, collectivity, community, and the beings that we create from that and, and us as individuals, right? And I think this is an ongoing theme. You have it in, for instance, uh, it's even in universe, right? Like the individual revolutionary scientist versus the collective consciousness of, of the population. You have it in Coventry, right? Can the individual really fit in to the group? And Heinlein is not like, he's not like some other writers I can think of who cast dispersions on the collectivity. It's something he's sympathetic to and strives for. Um, even some of the later books, I haven't read many of his later books, but like, I will fear no evil. It's literally about two different people coexisting in one mind, in one brain, right? And coming to terms with each other as as people, right? There's something profoundly human about doing that, about understanding someone else at the most intimate level, even sharing their thoughts, right? But there's a danger to one's individualism if we do that, right? Is that a price we're willing to pay for that? And and I think Heinlein's a little bit ambiguous about this because often enough he sees there is goodness in that more religious aspect. If you, if you think of like uh, Galactic Pot Healer, the tension between do you join in with Glimmon and become part of the, the community, the collective consciousness, or do you separate yourself out, right? And our narrator, our, our main character in Galactic Pot Healer doesn't do that, right? He sets aside, but he still is transformed by the experience with Glimmon. Um, here, and you have someone, one of the Howard families, who's of course older and about to die and, and maybe that's one of the first things we learn about her is that she's old even by Howard family standards and is fearful of death. Um, that, and that's how it's explained here. Given the choice between death and joining into the group ethos, she chooses, quote, nirvana and selflessness. And these are not bad things. So again, other writers may have looked at this and said, that's a bad thing, right, to, to choose the collective. And, and Heinlein's not doing that. Um, and and I think that's always there. Uh, so I, I think sometimes we, we overstate him being this, this hyper-individualist. It's just he's attracted to both sides of the coin, and he can't quite make his, his decision here. Um, I mean, really, it's not that. It's, and many other of the Howard's family people choose to do this, it seems. It's, they don't all return to Earth. Many of them stay with them and join into the collective consciousness. The problem comes is when they start to manipulate the young and really turn them into a different species. The young are described a few pages later. Lazarus, okay, they said, go see for yourself what happened to the baby. And Lazarus did so gingerly at first and then with returning confidence. What it was, he could not say. It was not human, nor was it like the offspring of the little people. Did the planet, like the last, contain some other previously unsuspected race? It was manlike, yet not a man. It lacked even the button nose of the child, nor were there evident external ears. There were organs of some sort on the unusual locations of each, but flushed with the skull and protected by bony ridges. The hands had too many fingers. There was an extra large one attached near the wrist, which ended in a cluster of pink worms. There was something odd about the torso of the child, which Lazarus could not place. But... Two other facts were evident. The legs ended not in human feet, but horny, toeless pediments, hooves. And the infant was hermaphroditic, not in deformity, but in healthy development. Unquote. And 
it seems that the little people see these as improvements of the humans. And this is what convinces the, the families that they have to leave this planet, that this is a step too far, that this uh, manipulating of the children, of uh, manipulating the genetic uh, legacy of humanity, this radically, without choice, is what they can't accept. The people choosing to go into the collectivity are is perfectly a free choice, right, to do that. And it's a positive. It's presented positively. What's not presented positively is this unnatural and unasked for manipulation of of the youth of the of the Howard's families. Now, like the other planet, the little people uh, just let them go. Um, you know, welcome them to stay, and some do seem to stay. But they let them go, and then they even use their abilities to, instead of force them to another planet like the, the masters of the previous planet did, uh, allow them to build an FTL drive because they were getting around on sub-light speed. Um, and there was some cool physics with this, with the Doppler effect. I, I think I didn't talk about this before in the last episode, but it's coming back to my mind, so I'll mention it. Um, this sounds right. I do think light is affected by the Doppler effect, the redshift. Uh, violet shift uh, but if you're going near the faster the speed of light that would actually create that you could you wouldn't you just see ultraviolet in f behind you and infrared in front of you is that how it would work it sounds right to me i'm not a physicist i don't know i know there's different funky rules with light because of relativity and all things are relative to light but uh it's wild if true, right? That all the science fiction where you're, you're looking out the window and you can see something would be wrong because it'd be because of the the violet shift. I don't know, but that was a that was a cool idea. But they were going like subs light, which is why they had to have cryo. But the little people helped them develop FTL, which allows them to return to Earth quickly. But like in uh, the Forever War. Um, which is a great book, uh, very Heinlein-esque, often kind of put in the same school as them. Um, Halderman is the author. That's that's where you, with you have time dilation. So if you you might be gone for a year, but since you traveled at the speed of light, you know maybe a hundred years have passed on Earth, right? And that's what happens. They come back to they finally decide to just come back to Earth, just to to try their luck on Earth. Now that they have FTL, they have something to bargain with. They're, they're in a better position. Um, and they get there in like 100 years has passed or something, right? Uh, a long time. And humans have developed the technique to extend life basically similar to how the Howard family did. So as I talked about in the last episode, the theme here of, of collectively evolving, humanity evolving collectively, maybe not all at once, but as with the Industrial Revolution or as with the nuclear age, or agriculture or whatever great transformation in human history that happened to everyone right every we experience evolution social cultural collectively right even if it's local in a society we experience that as a whole community historical change happens to everyone it's not something you can step aside from it is something we're bound to experience together and and whatever human evolution is whatever humanity will be in the future through due, due to technology or due to social change or moral evolution or whatever is going to be something we're all going to experience. Um, and once the Howard's families no longer have that advantage of long life, they can be brought back in. Now, I think there's some s silly stuff in 
the book coda, like where they're like, well, we'll just, because Earth's overpopulated because everyone's living a long time and real estate's at a premium and they're like, we'll just live in our old houses. And they're like, well, those have been divvied out to people. You were all declared dead <laughs> and, and missing. So we gave your houses to people, but they were like baffled that their houses weren't kept empty for 70 years. Uh, it's kind of, there, there is this, still that individualist. That's, that's what I'm thinking. It's like the Howard's family still can't fully escape that, that hyper-individualism reflected by that. They want their suburban home with their yard that they've, they've thought would be intact when they, when they come back, despite all the changes going on in Earth. It's really ridiculous that this becomes like a, a major plot point in the end of the story. Um, but basically they're like, well, we're going to have to keep people in cryo and, and filter them into Earth as space becomes available and as it is made. And, and we have something to offer. We have FTL now. Uh, now, Lazarus Long, for his part, he says, well, why do we have to go back to Earth, right? We discovered two cool planets, and now we have an FTL drive. Why don't we go out and, and see what's out there? So the story ends with uh, uh, a different type of exodus, right, of a, an exploratory one. one. Not one for escape and, and survival, but one of, of true exploration and curiosity and, and discovery. And that's, that's how the book ends. Uh, the story version ends, the astounding version ends, I think just with their... Um, yeah, they get back to Earth and they send scouts down and, and, and then it's declared like, uh, we're restored to the covenant. Uh, you see, there isn't any difference anymore. Everyone is a member of the families. And, and then they're like, oh, let's... They've established the same kind of um, biological hereditary heredity that we have. I think it still ends with Lazarus long deciding to go and explore. Um, or maybe he's just going to go back. Maybe he's just going back to Dallas. Yeah, I think I think he's like, I'm just going to go home to Dallas. So that, that whole issue about how they're going to be reintegrating the society, negotiating with the Earth leaders... And then Lazarus Long's kind of final quest out to the stars is 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 not in that version. It doesn't matter. Read the book version. It's it's fine. I just think is, it, there's like a lot of wasted time with this question of real estate at the end, and I think that's the kind of thing Heinlein can't get out of his head. Sometimes is like are are those kinds of details? I, I guess if you think of how many of his early stories are like reflections on copyright or reflections on like intellectual property reflections on like insurance companies and things like that he 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 hooks onto these little details that maybe aren't that important in the big picture he's trying to make or the big picture he's trying to paint what i really like about this story is the the constant dialogue about community uh, versus the individual and i think this story really kind of explores that as as a theme and the idea of evolving as as a species as entering like a new stage and how do we get there right what kind of struggle does it take um is it going to be bloody is it going to be violent is it going to be based on theft or is it going to be based on like based on communal evolution right and the choice to choose joining that i mean the two planets one it's forced and the other it's it's a choice now yeah most people most people the howard family don't choose to join either but ultimately, when they go back to Earth, they're reintegrating themselves into a humanity that's been changed. 
and is going to be more open and welcoming to them. And it's going to be its own kind of collectivity, its own, its own kind of communal experience. So in many ways, this does explore some of the more vapid aspects of, of hyper-individualism, right? right? In fact, they leave on a ship together. Their exodus is a collective experience of the Howard's families. And ultimately, that's, that's how we escape death, right? The, like the Howard, the original Howard family founder, his idea of escaping death is, is marry into people with long-lived families with long-lived grandparents. And that will help us escape death. Okay, that helps us escape death as individuals. But how do you escape death as a permanently? Even Lazarus Long is going to die, right? Well, I don't know. I haven't read all those other novels that he makes an appearance in. But I presume he dies. Mary is, is confronted with the chance to, you know, the real possibility for death coming up. Um, the Howard's family can't avoid death entirely, right? But the little people have a way of transcending um, of death. And some people choose to do that. But humanity itself, that community, that, that collective evolution is a way of, of being alive forever too, right? Maybe not as an individual. If we can abandon our individualism, that living eternally is not a problem, right? We'll always be there in some form. Right. So there's kind of a, a plea for building community. And I think from our standpoint, I think this is more like in the 40s when this is being written, there is still community in America. There are still neighborhoods. There is still a life out on the streets. There's still a place for for that community, civic organizations, labor unions, whatever. But reading from our standpoint where so much has been lost in that regard. Right, it, it's it's easier to see those aspects of it, of the of his stories, that he is praising the, you know, the surrender to the group, and that way I think Mary is is kind of really a, a radical figure in embracing the little people, not just to escape death as an individual, but to be part of something greater, than than her as an individual. So. Um, yeah, I think that wraps up my thoughts on Methuselah's children. I think I had a bit of a breakthrough on what Heinlein can mean to me, or at least this with this work. Um, next, I know I promised sixth column, but I, I started uh, reading Lost Legacy, and I really got into it. I really like this uh, Lost Legacy story. It was published originally in Super Science Stories. So I'll do a one-off episode, even though that's a little novella. It's, it's fairly long. It's a like a good 100 pages or so um it, it is something i think we can discuss in one one ep one episode and it's also dealing with these themes of of living forever and transcending human limitations and doing so as a species as a group uh in a way or falling as a as a, as a group so we'll I'll do one episode on lost legacy and then uh we'll do sixth column and then by its bootstraps and we'll wrap up i'll, I'll just in some order we'll finished the 1941 and 1942 stories there's another novel in there uh beyond this horizon so um yeah so it's going to be beyond this horizon uh elsewhere lost legacy by his bootstraps uh and he built a crooked house the unpleasant profession of jonathan hoke waldo my object is sublime goldfish bowl 
Um, and yeah, but two of these, most of these are short stories, but um, Lost Legacy is a novella. Sixth column is essentially a novel. And Beyond This Horizon is a novel. So a lot to do before we get to the war and the, the break in Highland's career. But I'm trying to be as complete as possible. So I hopefully I'm not forgetting any, any works. I'm trying to be careful not to, even if it drags out the this this podcast length. This doesn't matter. It's going to be another year before I finish this, I'm sure. But um, yeah, it's actually going to wrap up a lot of the stories pretty soon. I mean, we're going to shift to novels before too long. Um, probably another 20 episodes or so, and we'll be like just hitting off the, the juveniles and, and the other novels. So that's all coming at, ahead, but I think uh, we might have one skeleton key. If remember with my Philip Dick series, there was like a dozen different keys uh, that together kind of unlocked all the aspects. I think that's going to be true with Heinlein too. Um, you know, one is like feminism, and one is going to be sexual liberties, and, and one's individualism. But I think this uh, finding ourselves in the collective, in the community is another key here. And I think that's the response we can level to to the, some of the criticisms of Heinlein as this hyper-individualist kind of libertarian nut, which, which I don't think he is, but that criticism is out there. He, he's, not a, he's not a leftist, really, but there is something valuable, in my point of view, to, to digging a little bit deeper into what he's trying to say. At least I hope so. And I hope you think so, too. So uh, that's it for now. I'll, I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening.